Hello, 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 and welcome to Ruben the Cuban. As we uh, talk real talk here about commercial real estate in uh, sunny South Florida. Today, you know, as I start, I usually talking about my cigar that I always have in my mouth and chomping and will later smoke. Today I have an Arturo Fuente uh, personal reserve number four, I believe. Again, not uh, not uh, endorsed by any of these cigars. I'm just some of my favorite cigars. And if you guys uh, feel free, let me know what your favorite cigars are as we talk a little bit. Uh, today we're going to be talking about cooperation in the commercial real estate industry and the brokerage and and so forth and sharing and I kind of start a little bit about there's a white paper written by Kevin Majacomo. Uh Kevin uh, aside from being a friend uh, he was the president for SVN SVN International unfortunately um, passed away last year suddenly unexpected uh, across the industry everybody he had a lot of friends a lot of people very innovative forward thinking and uh, always really talked about the future of the commercial real estate. And his white paper that I want to kind of touch on it real quick uh, was titled Time's Up for Non-Cooperation in CRE. The white paper goes into detail about a lot of things, but really talking about how the commercial real estate industry is a lot about trading and sharing information. And traditionally, a lot of people think, bro- you know, think of brokers and they'll think uh, brokers will try to uh, double end the deal, um, which really for the client doesn't really do a whole lot of justice because they're looking for bringing the deal to the market and then they're going to try to also bring the the buyer. And so they're kind of acting as a transactional broker, but not necessarily uh, getting the best price or, or best terms for, for the client on either side because uh, they're just really interested in doing that. And we all love doing it. I've done it when, it, you know, and it comes up, but it's not like you build your practice that way. And also, they also don't like sharing information with other brokers, sometimes from other shops, let alone with other brokers or uh, advisors within their own shop. And and so information and trading information is something that um, is very pivotal or very crucial part of our business. We all know right now with technology, we have internet, there's so much information, so many services out there. A lot of people are becoming more sophisticated with the type of information uh, they can get. So just trying to hoard and keep that information within really doesn't do it justice. And then the white paper kind of talks, if you kind of keep up that type of practice, A, you're not going to really be uh, looked upon uh, with uh, kind eyes, let's say, in the industry and at the longer term and longer road of being in the commercial real estate, you're probably going to die on a vine because those type of individuals Although they may be very successful throughout time, but as time goes on, it's going to be a little more difficult uh, to uh, have uh, be successful in the CRE industry if you're really not wanting to cooperate and share and and grow and kind of throw a wide net, let's say. And and every deal is uh, a little different. Every seller or every buyer or every client has their own way. Some of them really do not want that. They want a very specific, and that's okay if it's on a deal per deal basis, but in general, some people have that type of practice. So on that note, today I have a very special guest, a good friend, somebody I think embodies not only uh, commercial real estate here in, in, in Miami, but also embodies the American dream. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about his, his story, how he got here, and uh, I'm just going to have a good conversation. They also a fellow uh, cigar, uh, enjoy uh, cigar from time to time and enjoys uh, celebrating life. So Miguel Pinto from Apex Capital Realty, founder, uh, managing broker, and uh, just overall rock star here in, in the uh, South Florida scene and um, and about. So Miguel, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, Ruben. Thank you for being here very much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, 
when we uh, first started, you know, hanging out and kind of talking, you told uh, told me a little bit about your story of uh, uh, you were born in Colombia, correct? Correct. And then so kind of your your journey between Colombia and coming here to the the Miami the Miami market. If you mind sharing with the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So thank you for having me. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Um, my story is not your typical immigrant story, right? It has a lot of the characteristics, but what actually happened uh, and what transcribed was, I mean, I even think about it nowadays and I'm like, holy shit, uh, <laughs> what, what my family went through. Uh, so I was born in Colombia and my mother's side of the family uh, was heavily involved in politics. Uh, my grandfather was the head of the Senate in the early 90s, uh, ran for a higher position within the government in 94. In 94, he gets kidnapped by a guerrilla group. Wow. Uh, a couple conditions to his release. There was a ransom and that also that he renounces to politics. Uh, the ransom part was done. He gets on stage on an interview and, and declares a war against the guerrilla group that that kidnapped him, right? <laughs> Which was not part of the conditions. So since when that happened, the guerrilla group fired back and then started going after my ha my family uh, very heavily. So in 97, my mom's campaigning and uh, someone gave away the coordinates of where she was going to be. So essentially, she was taking a caravan of medical staff, uh, doctors, dentists, and uh, she was going to rural towns in Colombia. You got to understand in Colombia in 1996, 1997, and even to today, these guys are not people that live in rural towns are not getting the best medical attention, right? They have to right, right. make their way into the main cities to see specialized doctors or dentists. So someone gives away my mom's coordinates. Uh, she was in a caravan. I think it was maybe three, four cars full of people. It was around 15 people that, that got held up. The people that held them up claimed to be the military. They were not mm. the military. They were the guerrilla. Um, my sister, who is a year and a half older than me, was with my mom that day. I happened to be with my dad at a fishing tournament, which we actually won the fishing tournament. Wow. Um, but uh, as the story goes, she they stop her, claimed they're the gorilla. My mom knew immediately. I mean, they claimed they're the military. My mom knew immediately they were the gorilla. Um, gives my sister some instructions. Out of everyone that was kidnapped, they kept two people um kidnapped which was my mother and my uncle mm -hmm. and that was solely because they were the kids of my grandfather who wow. had a feud with this guerrilla group so my sister was kidnapped for two days there are rules of war uh you can't hold up children at least they held that end of the bargain there's other groups that don't follow that uh she was kidnapped for six months uh they were asking for a large amounts of money uh in the millions for each one of them uh, and my family had just paid three years before a large wow. ransom, right? And and in <clears throat> Colombia, you got to understand, in the 90s and even today, uh, like a million dollars is not how people perceive a million dollars here, right? right? It, it's so much harder to make that type of money there. So, you know, it was per, for my mom, for my uncle, it was in the millions of dollars to uh, release them. My family came up with part of the money to pretty much essentially release my mom. They couldn't come up with the rest of the money for my uncle. So a week before they were supposed to kill him, they send a letter to my grandfather saying, hey, if we don't get the money, 
by this date, you can find your son's cadavers at this coordinates. Wow. And my mother and my uncle knew that this was going to happen. Um, from what my mother tells me, like, while you're kidnapped, they're not necessarily abusing you. They're, you know, it's, it's, it's military guys that are guerrilla. They're in the wrong side of the, of the fight. And they, they're just doing their job, right? So she befriended, they actually befriended one guerrilla member. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the night, in the middle of a guard shift, like a five-minute window, they escape. This was a few days before they were supposed to kill my uncle. Wow. Escape in the middle of the night. Um, my mom ends up like fracturing uh, one of her legs while they're trying to escape. They're running through the jungle, trying to get to a main road. Um, so I remember she was telling me that the, the stars were the ones guiding them of where to go, like the North Star, right? Wow, wow. And uh, they get to a main road. The guerrilla member pulls out his gun, stops a car, tells them to get out takes the car and they make their way back to the city. They gave the car back to the guy at some point. Um, but that's how they escaped. Two weeks later, I'm living in the United States. Wow. So wow. we had to get out of the country because they were after us, right? Yeah. Um, the guerrilla member that helped out my family, they ended up, the guerrilla that he was part of ended up killing his entire family. Wow. For treason, right? He moves to Ecuador. And then he also had a tragic end, right? His life was pretty much gone, right? Like wow. they killed an entire family. He he moves to Ecuador, and then, uh, you know, as life would have it, he he died shortly after. Now we're living in the U.S. And uh, look, my mother my mother's an attorney by in Columbus. She was an attorney. We come here, and uh, that title doesn't mean anything, mm-hmm. right? So starting over, uh, we lived in Orlando for a long time. Uh, that's where I went to middle school. That's where I went to high school. And, uh, and yeah, that's, a, that's, wow. that's the story wow. of how I got here. It, it, that, every time I, I hear it runs chills, it, it, I feel like I'm watching a Hollywood movie. And I'm sure someday possibly it'll be a book and then a movie. And- so, so my grandfather wrote a book. Oh, uh, he wrote the book. Yeah. Okay. He did write a book about it. You know, not only detailing what happened with my mom, but also what happened in, when he was kidnapped, right? And it's crazy. I mean, I have pictures. Back then, you know, we didn't have iPhones and there was no FaceTime. Right. There was none of that. They would send, there was a thing called proof of life. Like, prove to me, if you want this ransom money that you're asking, mm-hmm. prove to me that he's alive. So right. it would make him hold up newspapers with the date and, and it would show that he was, uh, that he was alive, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's how, that's how we would know if, um, that, that he was still, in fact, alive and, uh, and we could cut that deal with the gorilla to release him. So, wow. and I still have that because when you come to the U S and you're claiming, Hey, I was being persecuted. We had political asylum for 11 years. I didn't become a citizen of the U S till I was 18. Oh, right. I came here mm-hmm. when I was seven, didn't become a citizen until 18, but you have to prove to the U S government that like, Hey, I'm asking for political asylum and here's the proof, right? You, you can't just claim that you're right, being right. persecuted when you, when you may not be. Right. So I have all of this stuff. Like at some point I do want to yeah. uh, make a documentary, make something cool about it. Uh, it's part of my family's history. So, well, if anybody's a, a Netflix producer, a movie producer, Miguel, you have the look, you already have the Hollywood <laughs> thing going on. You look like you came out of GQ magazine every day. I see you. So, you know, you, you got that and you got the story behind you and I'm sure it'll be a, a blockbuster. At, if there's uh, a producer out there, I'm happy to talk. <laughs> I got a lot of content. There you go. You got to talk to me. I got to broker that deal. Okay. <laughs> go for it. Well, great. So you find, you know, grew up here. I, well, you came to Florida. You're in Orlando. Uh, you make my and you make your way down to Miami at some point. Uh, 
commercial real estate. You know, you're, as I said in the beginning, uh, an iconic figure here in your, you know, you're in your 30s? Yeah, I'm 32. 32. So you're 32 and already established as a, a mover, shaker, a player, somebody solid here in the Miami commercial real estate scene. Um, when I came down, you know, from Chicago 2019 and started kind of looking around and so forth, saw Apex everywhere. And uh, you guys have uh, done a superb job of, of getting out there. And a lot of that, you know, points to, you know, you and your team that have grown. And But they always talk about, you know, the leader and the, and the, and the leadership that, that you provide to, to that. So why start your own place, you know, especially at such a young age and very competitive market like Miami and, you know, how, how do you launch Apex? Yeah, so it was interesting. Uh, you know, I, I why did I get into real estate, right? I was, I was doing more of the analytical work prior to brokering, um, and I would notice what the HUDs were. And I saw that the brokers were making a big part of the money, right? Yeah. More so than the attorneys involved, um, oftentimes more than the acquisition fee that the GP was getting. And I said, okay, I'm not – this, this salary position is not going to work out for me. I I love doing sales. I love interacting with people. I love adding value whichever way I can. I'm going to go to brokerage. So I got my license uh, it was maybe like 10 years ago. And I uh, I worked at, at a couple shops. Um, one was a boutique one. And then one, a much bigger shop that I helped run their commercial division. But I, look, I took I took the things that I didn't like about those shops mm-hmm. and the things that I really liked about those shops and how they ran business and the way they did things. And I kind of made a made our own formula. Right. So you started off uh, this episode talking about collaboration. Right. Yep. That, that to me is the biggest pillar. The, the, the key to our success has been that. Right. Um, I think people talk about it. I think companies like as a sales pitch, say, hey, we collaborate. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, their actual staff does not. Right. right? And for many reasons. Um, that, like at, at Apex, that just simply doesn't work. If you are a lone wolf, there's much better shops for you out there. We're just not the right fit. Um, look, I mean, to that point, just throwing out a stat out here. When we looked at our, at our deals last year, we closed, I think, about 100 transactions last year. And our, and our target market is 2 to $40 million, the mid-market uh, where we compete very well. 75% of the deals were done in-house in collaboration with the team. And that's not because the properties didn't hit the market. That's not because we don't want to collabor- uh, co-broker with somebody, some other company. It's that we genuinely, you know, we meet as a, I have a meeting every Monday with the entire team. Mm-hmm. That meeting is deal-focused. If you're not bringing a deal to the table one too many weeks in a row, everyone's going to start looking at you weird. Like you weren't working the past few weeks. What were you doing? Right. (laughs) There's nothing worse than you always uh, giving and no one giving back to you. Right. Right. So there has to be, you have to be reciprocating all the time, right? For people to openly want to share deals. Because you're right. Someone could just double end the deal, make double the fee and go about their lives. Right. But my belief is that together we can do more. Absolutely. So if today I bring a deal, next week you may be bringing a deal that I may be bringing a buyer to or adding value in some type of way, shape, or form. Um, yep. So that's been the key. Going back to why I started Apex, um, again, I, I think there was like a lot of things that I didn't like. I've also been a very entrepreneurial mm-hmm. um, with with how I like to operate. And, uh, and I wanted to control my own destiny, right? Uh, I, I feel that if you go work at a big shop, 
and you want to be the guy running it at some point, you have to start waiting for people to retire, mm-hmm. right? The people that are in those seats. And if you're young, it's going to take you that much longer. So I, I, I wanted to cut my own path. Um, look, we started out really, really small. We started out in a 400-square-foot office on the second floor on top of a bakery in Little Havana. <laughs> there was chickens running around wow. in, the, in the parking lot. Um, we started doing sales in, in the urban core of Miami. Um, we started with four people. I remember we moved out of that office. I was working late one night. My wife works with me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had my dogs. Thank God I had my dogs that day just hanging out at the office. I have, um, I have some big dogs. Let's just say that. <laughs> and, uh, Not just in the shop. But that's good. Real dog. Got yeah. some big dogs. <laughs> so, um, man, I'm leaving. It's a little dark outside. And on the deck of the second floor, there was two junkies literally like injecting themselves right then wow. and there. Right. And I have girls that worked at the shop. So I said, you know, I went to my landlord the next day. I said, look, if it wasn't for the dogs, I don't know what would have happened. Right. And mm-hmm. if I wasn't there to yeah. get these guys, tell these guys to leave, I don't know what would have happened. Right. I have girls that work here. I can't, I can't stay here any longer. Uh, I have a good relationship with that, with my former landlord. We cut the lease. I moved somewhere else. And then every year I would end up kind of breaking my lease early, but making the landlord whole mm-hmm. because we started growing and adding and adding people. And albeit, Ruben, I think our, our growth has been organic and kind of controlled chaos in a way. Um, we, we've never really put out a job posting that we're hiring. It's been, you know, people that maybe have seen us from a transactional level that, mm-hmm. that inquire to come over or maybe some friends in the industry that I've had or other top performers within Apex that people approach them to come work at the company. But right now we have a team of about 35 brokers. Nice. Our sole focus is representing the seller mm-hmm. uh, or the landlord. That's how we can control the transaction. And by way of doing that, we work with a lot of buyers, right? And right. Co- and other brokers. Um, so that's that's been our focus. That's kind of, the again, the collaboration is the key piece that holds everyone together. Um, that, and that's that's how we started. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I've, uh, you know, over the last year or so, we had a chance to meet several of your different uh, brokers from your office. Um, had some offers come across on some of the deals, you know, so I got to see a little bit. That's how I got from the outside to see a little bit of Apex, get to know you a little bit, you know, throughout some of these transactions and getting to, when I came to your office the other day, you guys were just finishing your, your, your meeting and you can just see and feel the energy in the room. Everybody was like a big family and uh, it's just, it's awesome. So I, you know, kudos to you and, and your team there that you have a, a great shop, a great name. You said, you know, you went to urban Miami to start and kind of growing from there. A lot of people that, you know, I talk to that kind of get started, usually start off on a little bit on the outskirts, you know, they want for smaller deals uh, or kind of get their way in. I talk to a lot of also people here in Miami, they're always, how do you get into commercial real estate? It might be on the residential side. Uh, last week I had uh, one of my, she has her license like six months only. So she's just getting started. You're on the other spec, other end of the spectrum. You have a full, full service office running. So you went that way. The question I guess I want to ask is you have some really good relationships. One of the things that impressed me with our first conversation was we were driving in in, the, in your car and you were like, well, here's this deal. And you knew each owner on almost around the blocks or on different parts of, of, of Miami and so forth. So how did you start developing those things? Um, some people like networking a lot. Some people you know, do just cold calling a lot. And what, what's kind of been your your formula, not to give your silver, silver 
bullet away or whatever, but you know, what would you recommend or what worked for you? When I came to Miami, I didn't have any business relationships. I came down here for school, right? So like every, probably the majority of college students, like you're going out, uh, you have your friends, you're going out to parties, to bars, whatever. That crew of people, they didn't own any real estate. Their parents didn't own any real estate. Mm-hmm. Some of them didn't even, weren't even from here like me, right? So I didn't have a big network to start off with. So I had to go out and hunt. And that's what I knew how to do, right? So I didn't, I would cold call. I would go door knocking, um, especially if you weren't picking up my call. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't show up to your house, but if like, there was a mailing address for a business, I would show up, right? And uh, it's very different. It's very hard for you to tell me no to my face than on the phone. On the yeah. phone, you can just say no and hang up. In I'll person, say, you got to give me a little bit say of Say that time. one more time because I tell that I have some, some younger guys I'm talking to and they're calling and, you know, they'll go straight to do you want to sell kind of thing. I'm like, get to face-to-face, at least a face-to-face, even a cup of coffee. Yeah. But what you just said, it's harder to say no. Yeah, it's hard for you for someone to tell you no in person than on the phone, right? So when you're cold calling, you, your goal in that cold call should solely be to meet up with the, with the owner, right? If there is any level of interest in selling or exploring a sale, you are not trying to get a listing on the phone. You're solely trying to meet with that person. That person's going to do business with who they like right. and who they have conviction that can get that job done, right? right. And that's not going to transcribe on a 3, 10, or even a 15-minute phone call, wow. right? Um, so... Something that I would do is, uh, look, if I had someone that was on the fence, I would just go drop in on them at their business. And and now they knew who I was. Um, I think it also shows that you're proactive and that's how you're also going to be handling their transaction and their deal. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I think that's that was key for me. Um, I also focused on a certain area. Right? I started out in Little Havana in the high density, like where you could build high density. Um my specialty is is land for development. Right. So I would focus on where can developers build the most. And that was the higher zoning area. So like West Flagler Street, some of the avenues, 17th Ave, uh, Southwest 8th Street. And yeah, I would, I would drop in on these guys, uh, picked up a lot of business, sold a lot of deals. Um, and then essentially when you're focused on an area, you'll find that those owners, once you've transacted with, with them, once you've added value, once they like you, once they trust you, uh, once they start telling their friends about you, they probably have properties in other parts of town. So naturally starting off in an area, I found that it will take you to other areas. Mm-hmm. And then it just it just becomes a web that like just keeps expanding and expanding if you're doing the right thing for the client and giving the best experience that you can possibly give them. Amazing. I call it basic fundal, fundamental blocking and tackling, you know, to use football terms. Uh, but it's so, so proven over the years. Uh, some of the younger folks out there, they, they, all they want to do is, you know, a lot of um, social media, which is great, um, or texting because they don't want to call and so forth. And I still uh, find and tell that, you're, like you said, your story, you know, picking up the phone and getting that face-to-face. Yeah. It, there's there's really, uh, I think, a second to none Yeah, uh, when you have that uh, face-to-face meeting. Yeah. I mean, look, those things that you mentioned, the social media aspect, the texting, um, there's so many so many strategies, right? There's a voicemail strategy. There's uh, new email campaigns and such. That should be an augmentation to what the core is, right? Which is really meeting with sellers often, as often as possible, right? And right. And, and I think the best way you're going to do that still to this day is, is, is calling them and building that relationship. But again, those other aspects, you know, we do some of those, uh, some of those we don't, but that's just an augmentation, right? Right. Right now, you know, I'm, I'm really focused on 
we, we've built on a nice team, right? So we have it segmented by asset class or by an area, neighborhood. I have some killers that are that are working at, at Apex um, oh, yeah. that, that are just absolutely crushing it. And, and so my job now is how do I, if you're making a million dollars at Apex, how do I get you to $2 million, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's been my focus as of late, um, just really how do I help explode their business, right? My interests are extremely aligned with the brokers that work at Apex. You know, what does that look like, right? Uh, how do we add technology to, to the way you operate your business, right? How do we add assistance to your business to take the minutia that you shouldn't be doing? Anything that's not producing you any income or any income-producing activity for that matter, you should not right. be doing. Um, that, that should be the task of somebody else that we can find either here or abroad. I mean, there's VAs that work for $4 an hour abroad that are very astute people that get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that aspect, right? Uh, can I leverage my relationships to help them out, right? Um, and then, you know, one of the biggest things that we do is once you get to a certain level at the company, we build out a team for you, right? There's nothing like the human capital aspect uh, to help you explode your business. Yep. And it essentially, it's a flywheel, right? So at the top, you have a top agent. You come over. Um, we build out a team for you. We'll put two, three people underneath you. Uh, you know, some of these are recent college grads. Some people, you know, they come from all over the place. You train them. We actually train them on on the basics, right? What is NOI? What's cash flow? How do you prospect from a general aspect? Um, you know, we have a course of like fifteen things that we that we teach them. Once they go through that, their mentee or their sales manager gives them the strategy. Hey guys, we're going to go after this. Right. They go through about a year to two years of training under this person. Uh, once we see that they absolutely get it, they've closed transactions. They know how to, you know, when you're in a transaction, there is never a smooth transaction. <laughs> I think I've had one in my entire career where <laughs> we put it on their contract and then I got a check at the end. It closed. There's always some hiccups. Yeah, yeah. So once we fully understand that 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 rookie, that mentee, that newer person uh, gets the wholesale cycle and, and can carry a transaction fully on their own, and they're and they're hitting certain levels of success, certain levels of numbers mm-hmm. at the company, we will then now start building a team underneath them. And when that person left, when that person that now graduates, let's just call it, leaves that team, we will then replace that team, that the person that graduated with someone else, and then begin building a team for the other person. And and really, like we've seen that the incomes have exploded for the sales managers or the mentors, right? Um, because you have, what you can do in eight hours, just multiply it by three now, right? right you have right. three other people doing it. So you're going on that many more meetings, you're closing that many more sales, and it just works. Um, so that's that's been a key pillar too, right? And then now you take that and you put it in a room with 35 people that are deal makers that all have all types of relationships throughout town or throughout the country. You know, there is a deal out there that gets discussed at the company you know what oftentimes is like five people put in offers for wow. the same deal right so it's it's it becomes like okay which which who, <laughs> who are we going to choose right who's the right horse to right. actually take this down but yeah. but there's nothing like seeing that right uh and and really just being very open about about what you're working on um we're not the type of shop that you have to pick up your papers at the end of the day from your desk because right. you don't want someone else to see it and you know to your point when you started this uh this podcast today because of the way that the industry set up, right, especially at the bigger shops, mm-hmm. because of the split that they give the brokers, and then they have a team that they also have to feed, 
their the GCI, the gross commission income that they can potentially get, right, mm-hmm. gets so dwindled down that they don't want to co-broker with anyone. Right. So oftentimes you'll see from the national shops, they, they market a deal. You inquire, they send you a CA, and the CA will say, the CA is the commission agreement. And I'll say that there's no fee to the to the buyer's broker. What wow. incentive does the market have to help bring a buyer to that deal? Exactly. Right. And and so I, I think it I think there's a big disconnect there from just the client experience. You as the owner of the property, as a seller, you want as many eyes on this and to incentivize as many people within the industry to bring you the best deal, right? Yep. The most amount of money or the best terms, whatever you're seeking. And so, you know, I think there's that disconnect that at some point the industry has to correct some way, shape, or form. Um, for us, I think it's been a huge advantage that it gets ran Absolutely. like that because we play off of that, right? We're like totally the whole different type of brokerage. We will collaborate. We will give you 50% of the fee. There is no the fee 6% and we're going to give you one and a half. We're going to keep four right. and a half. We don't do that, right? Right. Like, uh, let's sell as much as we can. Let's give the clients the best experience that we possibly can. And let's get the job done. That's that's what we're about. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's exactly our our mindset. And I think is one of the reasons. You know, aside from hey, you're a cool guy to hang around with. Professionally, we're on the same track. You know, same kind of mindset. Same kind of hey, let's just be open. Um, <clears throat> it's funny because uh, I told people that you were going to be here on the show, and they're like, "What? You're bringing another brokerage on the show?" I was like, "Yeah, hey, we're friends." You know. We've, we've had drinks and cigars, so we're, we're family. <laughs> but um, it's that mindset is the way you guys work. Uh, it's what I see throughout, you know, the industry. Uh, here in the, in the in Miami, I see what you guys are doing. And honestly, what everybody, you know, when we talk, when your name comes up or your firm's name comes up, it's always that same. They're really, really, they play well in the sandbox, I guess. It's the Thank best you. way to put it. So, so it, it's, it's great. You've done a great job. Uh, Oh, you know, great reputation, you know, out of, out in the industry. Thank you. Um, two little things before we, we start wrapping up here. Um, really quick, it, it, you're on the younger side, you know, 32, and I would say uh, there's a lot of people get out there that get one year of experience, and they're like, I'm ready to go hang my own shingle and open my shop. I know it sounds very, oh, we have this, and we have all the tools, and you built this beautiful, you've done an amazing shop. But for some of those guys that are thinking, hey, I'm going to go out on my own, I'm leaving here versus going to another shop what would you say you know maybe a quick word of of advice on that transition of going to your own own you know opening because it's like i don't have to share with anybody i'll just open my own place versus you know taking care of or being part of a team or something like that yeah look i i i think people underestimate how hard it is to (laughs) to run a successful shop um they see what it's like today but you weren't there <laughs> five and a half years ago when I'm dealing with junkies on the floors, on yeah. the steps of my of the exit of the office, right? And and that's not even the worst part. You know, as an entrepreneur, cash rules the business. If there is no cash, your business will die, mm-hmm. right? You can't make payments. You can't pay the staff. You can't pay for the systems. Um, our operating, our monthly operating budget, which, by the way, it's light compared to some of my friends that are managing brokers at other shops or CEOs of other shops. Like, we run on $50,000 a month wow. in operating expenses. I know shops that run on 200000 right? So I think I'm actually on the lighter side. Absolutely. But, um, you know, what happens when when you're not meeting even the $50,000 in, in, in income to 
to cover the expenses when mm-hmm. you're not even breaking even. So that happened to me for the first two years when I had when we opened Apex. You know, my wife runs the books. Uh-huh. Every from the 25th of the month to the 31st of the month, I was not in a good mood because she was telling me she was like, "You're gonna have to fund five thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand." Look, I'm I'm. I come from a middle-class family, right? So mm-hmm. I didn't have someone that just said, hey, Miguel, here's 100000 Go start your business. This is all right. from the fees that I had built up, uh, money I had saved, and, and I started it. But first two years, it was just every month just coming out to cover the expenses. I wasn't right. even making a profit from the business. Wow. The only way I was making money was just really being is. a broker and and but being the – from being a, a transactional broker, but from managing broker standpoint, I was losing money for the first two years, right? And then, you know, I think understanding who you really are is key. Like, I am not a great operations person. I'll be the first to tell you. I'm not a great marketer. Hmm. I don't even have social media. Probably a huge mistake at my age, but <laughs> but it's the truth. I don't. I, don't, I, I enjoy being somewhat of a ghost. Uh, you know, I'm not the type to tell you, hey, I'm vacationing here or that, like, you know, yeah. I, I almost I enjoy my privacy, um, which I think in our day and age is probably not. You could do much more if you are open and you are out there, right? Like a friend of mine asked me the other day. You know, it's metaphorically to this point. If Elon Musk called you, and offered you a job, or the CEO of Cisco called you, to offer you a job, who would you go with? Hmm. Who is the CEO of Cisco? I have no idea. Cisco makes more money than Tesla, by the way. Uh huh. But it's that whole notoriety of him being out there that, yep. like, all right, Elon's calling me. Great. I'll take the job, Elon. Yep. Maybe going to Cisco was a better decision. Right? So that's to Good the point, point of social media. But Nice point. But, uh, you know, I, 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 it, it's not easy st- it's not easy starting out. Uh, there's a lot uh, going to the point where knowing who you are. I knew that I wasn't great at these things. I was able to bring a great friend of mine uh, who's actually a COO. He's my partner at the company, uh, Martin Bravo. Mm-hmm. And he really helped us get organized from a back-end process and systems perspective, which I am a total mess at. Uh, <laughs> so bringing in the right people and putting them in the right seat of the bus and really honing down on what you're like best ability is right like yep. i i think i'm a i think i'm a really good rainmaker i i, I can look I, i've been selling since i was 12 years old right mm-hmm. so i think i'm really good at it i'm, I'm good at creating and, and really forging relationships right so and and coming up with creative ways to do more business to make the cash register ring so yes. that's what i focus yeah. on right so that's my main thing my partner is focused on the operations and the marketing which is amazing because you know, there's nothing like going on vacation for three weeks, four weeks, and knowing that everything's running smoothly at the company. You're not getting the call that, hey, there's a fire. How do I do it? You're not right. here. Like, it runs. Um, so I think that that part is key for anyone looking to open up and uh, your own brokerage. Like, just have those things lined up. Uh, be honest to yourself about who you really are. Yeah. What kind of entrepreneur are you? Um, be ready to cough up uh, those costs while you start out. Um, maybe you're a person that, Already has a big book of business, so there's a lot of fees coming in, but maybe you're not, right? So just be prepared for that, and uh, it's it's, awesome. it's, it's it's a nice ride. Yeah, yeah, but awesome. Well, you've done a fabulous job again, um, and then I'm not going to elaborate too long because I think it's going to be a topic for another conversation. Hopefully, you'll come back, and I'm not scared you away from this. Um, well, you know, people like to know what's going on in the market. If there's somebody I know that's really in tune, especially here in the Miami market and, you know, 
I would say hyper focus in what's going on around here. Um, not to say, well, what's your prediction for 2023, but any uh, two seconds, really quick synopsis of what do you see kind of going on there here in the Miami market on the commercial real estate side? Yeah. So it, 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 we're going through a very interesting time. Um, look, from a macro level, interest rates are rising. Uh, you throw on CNBC, they're talking about recession, this recession, that. But meanwhile, if you're here uh, ground zero in Miami, like transactions are happening and, and, and people are still out there buying. Right. The challenge today is that there's a big gap between what the sellers think properties are worth and what the buyers think properties are worth. Mm -hmm. And that's the limbo period that we're at. I think that will get cleared out hopefully by Q3, Q4. Um, but something interesting that is happening is that there is there's one hundred and seventy five billion dollars worth of debt. Mm. That's the end default already. In default already. Yeah. Here in Miami. Uh, throughout the state. Throughout the state of Florida. There's $450 billion worth of debt that is coming due this year. Mm -hmm. But $175 billion is already in default from wow. some type of standpoint, either a loan maturity default or just a non-payment default. Many types of defaults out there. Yes, yeah. So what I think happens there is that that, that owner of the property is, is forced to make a decision. Right. You're either going to cough up the money, pay back the loan, or refinance at a much higher rate than you probably financed, and uh, or sell the asset, right? So we've been focusing on people that, that absolutely need to sell. Uh, mm -hmm. not, we haven't been focused on people that want to break a record because I think you missed that boat in 2021 yeah. and 2022. Um, you know, strategically speaking, I, I like to go after people that want to transact yeah, and yeah. that's going to appreciate our service. And, and, and so that, that's kind of what we're we're gravitating towards. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, again, hopefully this is uh, the first of several visits. Love to have some more Hell continued yeah, conversations. Absolutely. Um, since you like your privacy, I know it's hard to get a, in touch. You. What, what's the, the, the best way to get in touch with you if somebody wants to get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, look, uh, you go to apexcapitalrealty.com. You'll find my email. I think my cell phone may be in, on, uh, on the website. Okay. Um, so apexrealty.com, best way to get a hold of Miguel Pinto. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate being here. Uh, let's go enjoy the rest of the day. And I want to thank you guys for spending some time with us uh, here on the show. Please remember to come back and share uh, share the show with other uh, anybody you think that might uh, benefit from listening to these types of shows. You can find the shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to pick up your podcast show and enjoy your time. Have a great week. Thank you.